You're listening to What Mad Universe on the HyperX Podcast Network. Check out all our shows on podcast.hyperx.com. Content warning. Racism, the Confederacy, law enforcement, animal abuse, and all manner of a feudin' and a fussin'. Action, excitement, horror, romance, thrills and chills, swords and sorcery, rockets and ray guns, a dizzying canopy of the strange and impossible from the darkest depths of the human imagination. What mad universe encompasses such tales as these? Join us as we bear witness to the sweeping sprawl of all the history that never was and all the futures that could yet be. It's adventure as you like it on What What Mad Universe. Enraged. You never aim to catch them wretches. You've taken the wrong road on purpose. You've turned us over on purpose. Now I'll never catch that scoundrel which ran away with my daughter. The poor, dumb, trusting, innocent. Be calm, Cousin Buckner, I advise. He'll make her a good husband. They're well on to their way to war paint and a happy married life. Best thing you can do is forgive them and give them your blessing. Well, he snarled. You ain't neither my daughter nor my son-in-law. Here's my blessing to you. It was poor return for all the trouble I'd taken for him to push me into a cactus bed and hit me with a rock the size of a watermelon. However, I'd taken into consideration that he was overwrought and not his self, so I ignored his incivility and made no retort whatever, outside a splinter in a wagon wheel over his head. The Apache Mountain War, 1935 by Robert E. Howard. Hi, y'all. Welcome, siblings, cousins, and other kinfolk to What Mad Universe, the meanest, toughest podcast on this year's internet. Though the wild rumors of us beating up the My Favorite Murder podcast or bending the steel pole over the head of Aaron Mankey are greatly exaggerated. And I'll fight anybody who says different. I'm your host, Philip Rice, and with me, as always, is the tenor-foot city boy, Adam Prosser. Hello. Today, we're talking about the Breckenridge Alkin series, a comedic collection of short stories by Robert E. Howard about a super strong but dim-witted hillbilly. We'll be right back after this. Eliminate clutter and embrace the freedom of HyperX wireless gaming gear for PC and console. Power through all the great monthly PlayStation Plus games with the Cloud Stinger Core Wireless for PlayStation. Enjoy lightweight comfort with reliable wireless freedom so you won't miss plot points when you head to the fridge. High quality HyperX wireless products can be found at most fine retailers, as well as online at Target, Micro Center, Best Buy, Amazon, Walmart, or shop directly at HyperX.com and HP.com. When it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or even your year, we'll be there for you. I'm Ryan, the line is always a dot to me. And I'm Mark, how are you doing? And we are a podcast of two friends watching Friends. Reliving every episode of the TV show Friends in all its glory, delving behind the scenes and discussing all our favourite moments. Join us as we get reacquainted with some old friends and hopefully make some new ones only on the HyperX Podcast Network. So we're back. Uh, so the word hillbilly is tossed around a lot in these stories and it certainly fits the cultural conception of a hillbilly, though apparently that like technically only applies to people from the Ozarks. I'm not sure about the. Well, Again, I think you could. I think uh, uh, Appalachians as well. Um, but yeah, but he's not in the Appalachians. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's in uh, uh, Nevada in the Humboldt Mountains. Oh, okay, interesting. Um, it was. Uh, I actually didn't realize that. Um, well, I, I read a couple of these. You've read them all. I, I take it right. Uh, as far as I know. Yeah. Um, it, it, I read a collection and then the fix-up novel, which is I see. A, a bunch of the stories sort of strung together with a new narrative. Right. 
yeah, that's that's what I'd heard. I hadn't seen that. Um, and these are um, these stories are by uh, Robert E. Howard, and it was interesting. Apparently, I I didn't realize this, but apparently, this is actually the character he published the most of during his lifetime. Um, it's 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 hard to it's easy to forget these days, but um, you know Conan the Barbarian. Uh, a lot of his stories didn't get published. A lot of Solomon Cain stories. A lot of Cull stories. They they were written but not published. He wasn't able to find a, a publisher for them. But apparently the Breckenridge Elkin series was uh, Elkin series was really popular, and and uh, so something like twenty five of them got published uh, in his lifetime. I think there's twenty seven and and the novel. Right. And as you say, that was a fix-up novel where they, they yeah. added all the different uh, stories. They strung them together, so I didn't read that. But yeah, so this is another uh, in the um, in the uh, entry in the entry the the genre that was especially popular around this period, uh, the 30s through the 40s and 50s, uh, which is the you know the the hillbilly, the hillman. Uh, adventure, which is kind of adjacent to the Western, but it's always, it's, it tends to be more comedic. It's often got a sort of, um, fan, not even fantastical, but like larger than life feel to it. Um, that was the era. The reason I think that, 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 uh, character started to pop up a lot in the thirties, uh, was just that, um, that was actually the era because of the depression. Um, Apparently, a lot of hill folk came out of the te- out of the hills uh, to find work in the city, so they became a more common sight. And you know, the city people would tend to think of them as dumb rubes, uh, and uh, that so that that whole stereotype started to sink in around the 30s and became really popular. Um, and this is uh, this is uh, one of them, <laughs> I guess. There's like later entries. You had things like the comic strip Little Abner, um, and you know, uh, even Barney Google and Snuffy Smith, the uh, the other comic strip, right? That's still running for some reason. <laughs> yeah, like that's crazy that it's still out there. Like it, Barney Google's not even a character anymore. Just, <laughs> but it's still in the title anyway. <laughs> yeah, and the uh, and the Beverly Hillbillies, of course, that was a, kind of a late entry. Green Acres and the Beverly Hillbillies were kind of the same, from what I understand. Not, I've never actually seen either of those shows, but uh, there's the same basic idea sort of switched around, and that was a little. That was a little long in the tooth even then. That would have been the early 60s, and that kind of the country folk versus city folk humor was getting a little like long in the tooth at that time Yeah. anyway. Well, the, the Simpsons revived a lot of it. They, they like their hillbilly jokes. <laughs> well, the Simpsons, Cletus, but uh, yeah, they, yeah. they go to that well a lot. Yeah. Well, they like, the Simpsons likes old-timey type comedy in general. They they often, as you say, they kind of revive a lot of stuff. Yeah, so, they, yeah, they I, like uh, hobos, too. Hobos and hillbillies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there was a bit, you would actually do see a bit of a shift in the 60s and 70s to maybe being, I, I mean, not that these stories aren't sympathetic to the to the uh, the country bumpkins as well, but maybe, you know, uh, a bit more sympathy to, to uh, country folk in the 60s and 70s. Both you know, like the counterculture was sort of embracing the idea of getting back to nature and also the idea that, you know, the, the working man, the regular Joe of America was that I, we think of that as just having been historical standard. But in fact, uh, that lionization of the regular little guy who lives out in the rural, uh, rural towns folks is actually kind of recent I, i'd say like again 60s and 70s is where it really started to to become a thing um before then they were you know seen as the subject of of humor which is a, an interesting thing in these stories you can see a lot of uh, a lot of attitudes of the time that aren't don't jibe with you know either the positive or negative stereotypes that we have of people out out in the out in the wild out in the out in the, the hollers and the hills yeah uh so uh Howard himself apparently classified these as westerns, uh, though um, they don't really uh, fit what we, because he is like a cowboy, and especially a lot of the later stories. Um, uh, and you know, there there are like shootouts, and you know, he goes to a town, and you know, there's 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 trouble, and you know, um, mm-hmm. but they they don't fit our our sort of conception of westerns. Um, I've I've heard them. Um, I've heard this compared to uh, a Texas uh, tradition called tall lying, which are tall tales, but even more so. So like uh, Pico's Bill and that sort of thing. Right. That's actually a really, that's an interesting thing to bring up. And again, we, 
I think we kind of touched on them when we talked about um, uh, uh, Silver John. That was like our fourth episode, uh, which is, but it, it is tapping into a larger tradition that goes back really centuries in the U.S., which is just the sort of stories told around the campfire. In the case of Paul Bunyan, it was around the you know, the logging camps or, or the cowboys told about Pecos Bill. Although in many cases, it was just sort of exaggerated, ridiculous stories that got lumped together into an existing character like Pecos Bill or Paul Bunyan. Um, there was actually some question uh, recently about whether, well, not recently, but in in the later 20th century about whether Pec- uh, Paul Bunyan was actually uh, an existing folktale character or whether, because he, we knew he was published in the... Uh, in the early 20th century, uh, an, an ad campaign running for for logging and and uh, the uh, yeah for the the timber industry um, used um, the stories sort of used Paul Bunyan and, and created a a big pamphlet and magazine that was collecting a lot of the stories and in some cases embellishing them and a lot of people said oh yeah you know this is like 19 this is like after World War One so not that not going back that far and a lot of people were saying oh yeah they just came up with these stories from an ad agency so they're not real folkloric stories but it actually does look like they drew on real folklore and stories from the past and that paul bunyan is mentioned a bit in the late 19th and early 20th centuries although not necessarily as this dominating figure uh but he's definitely a character who pops up in this kind of uh lumber lumber camp tall tales back of the time back of the time Um, so suck it neil gaiman yeah, Neil Gaiman did. Uh, you know, he sort of he he went halfway into the research for that, and then he he. But apparently, the the scholarly research is like, no, there is actual folkloric basic for Paul Bunyan. But he was definitely embellished a lot by that ad agency. It, it, he, he like the a lot of them were kind of well, I met a man who was you know, uh, uh you know he'd he'd uh, like one of the stories about Paul Bunyan is that he'd uh, strap hams to his feet and skate down the the griddle in order to to grease it to make the pancakes for the flapjacks for for breakfast and that wasn't necessarily told about paul bunyan it was just a story somebody told but this ad agency applied it to the story of paul bunyan also i believe the idea of paul bunyan being this giant taller than the trees is from the ad agency pamphlet it wasn't the original stories he was just a very tall man um so like that like again it's a lot of the later uh 20th century embellishments that kind of like how a lot of uh old folk folk songs and, and country western songs are really from the 50s they're not you know like maybe they use elements from older than that but they're actually pretty recent so it's it's similar in that regard i would say yeah uh uh and talking about um texas origins of this um uh the character breckenridge elkins is from nevada but uh they, they keep talking about his family being from texas his father uh uh came up from from Texas or er, fled Texas because uh, according to uh, Breckenridge he refused to take the Yankee oath after the Civil War um, though uh, other members of the family apparently there's rumors that uh, he was uh, run out of uh, out of Texas for uh, stealing horses um, and uh, we're sort of we're not given a conclusive answer on that but uh, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. That that you know, embellishing something, making it noble, and but yeah, it's it's uh, it's also worth noting. Uh, Robert E. Howard was from Texas too, so yeah. um, yeah. Oh, I didn't mention that. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. Th- this is that aspect definitely is coming from Robert E. Howard's personal experience, and that I, I think makes this a little more uh, not realistic because these stories aren't realistic, but uh. uh I don't know. It has a certain verisimilitude. Um, yeah, like it's the way grounded people, in what he knew and what he what. He, yeah, the way people know. talk feels a little more uh, natural than say the stuff I wrote for the intro for this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was he was a. I mean, uh, not just that too, but I mean, uh, from what I understand, Robert E. Howard in his personal life, he tended to sort of, uh, you know, he he tended to try and make himself larger than life and boast and, and brag. And that, that seems to be a thing in you. Well, I was going to say, you don't see it as much anymore, but you have, it's evolved, but that used to actually literally be a thing. Like the idea of lying and bragging contests, um, among the, uh, among, uh, like the frontiersmen, it was, you know, you were supposed to, you know, either, you know, talk to yourself, tell you, introduce yourself as, you know, oh, I'm so mean. I, I would, 
I'd shave with a polecat, you know, kind of thing. And I, you know, I punched the sun because it was too bright. And, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. You're supposed to, you're supposed to hype, be a hype man for yourself, essentially. And also tell tall tales about either yourself or just people you knew or whatever. And that was actually in the, you know, the 19th century. That was, to some degree, it was seen as a, it was kind of a, a, uh, it was a fun way to pass the time, and it was a it was a kind of a revered tendency among people, especially from what I understand, the backwoods people, uh, to be able to tell these kinds of stories and and talk yourself up like that, and uh, that's what uh, this the story is kind of coming out of. And I was, <laughs> you know, look, fortunately Americans are no longer known for bragging <laughs> and lying about stuff, so uh, you know. And like the you know rap music uh, often has that um, not not the yeah. uh, physical feats, or I mean maybe, but. Um, but that, that's sort of, you know, I'm right. exaggerating, uh, puffing up one's own importance, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And just in general, just sort of like uh, anyone who wants to show off in general. I mean, we we had a president who was kind of like that. Anyway, <laughs> in, in a negative, in a more <laughs> negative sense. But yeah, it's like, I mean, the America's nothing but grifters these days. It's, uh, it hasn't, and I mean, of course, the, uh, the medicine shows and the, and the grifters and the, and the, the show offs have always been a big part of American culture. So yeah. not always, a, not always a happy thing, but it's definitely uh, tied into that. Though, uh, it, it's sort of interesting in these stories because, um, a lot of it is built on. Uh, I don't. I don't want to quite say unreliable narrator because he's not like lying in the same way that like Humpert Humpert might be in Lolita, but um, um, it's more like he's just stupid. And yeah, exactly. Doesn't really understand things, or I mean, in some cases he probably is lying because uh, he often starts off the stories with like. Um, now there's lots of rumors about how I handle things in um, in shot ear, but I just want to set the record straight. I did not. Um, you know, kick the mayor into a outhouse. Yeah, you know. right. Um, yeah, mostly just, just my foot you know, happened to connect with his butt. Yeah, and that direct, you know that kind of thing. Yeah, or um, uh, I didn't mean to break the uh, break his um, uh, break his back. I, I just threw him into a, a bush, and how was I supposed to know there was a tree in the way? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like the bit in the first story where he talks about, you know, well, I just I just decided to get out of there fast and the door was in the way. I didn't actually mean <laughs> to knock down his wall because he yeah. is com he is comically strong, like uh, supernaturally strong, you might say, uh, Breckenridge. He's not, you know, and and as much much remarked on, he tends to, you know, smash up everything wherever he goes. And he is he is the classic sort of uh corn-fed rube hillbilly who doesn't understand what's going on he doesn't the first story he doesn't understand the concept of like law enforcement very well because that's this crazy thing uh, the first story is clearly him as a younger man than the later ones because he, he even says at the end he wasn't fully grown yet um yeah he was uh, only eight seven feet tall or whatever he wasn't fully well, grown he's, yet. he's uh, six foot five which isn't yeah. that tall i mean it's tall it's taller than me obviously but uh like you do get people that tall. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but at the time that, like, don't fair. forget, people have gotten taller too, even from when this was written, which is 1935. Uh, so that was probably it's clearly meant to be a joke on the fact that he's gigantic, but he's you know talking about how he's not fully grown yet. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Also, the first story uh, is the only one to feature his mule Alexander. Afterwards, he always has his. Uh, his very large stallion, uh, Captain Kid. Yeah. Um, and there's actually, uh, there, uh, unless I missed it, there's not a, uh, a short story where Captain Kid is introduced, but it, it is in the fix up novel, um, where he meets Captain Kid. Cause no, it's okay. part of the, the extended narrative. I'll get into that later. Well, let's, uh, use that opportunity to take a break and we'll be right back with more backwoods antics on what mad universe. SequelCast 2 and Friends looks at movies and video games and franchises one movie and game at a time. Hosted by Matt bradley Shergi, Thrasher, and Alex Miller, been going since 2009, and we're part of the HyperX Podcast Network. Eliminate clutter and embrace the freedom of HyperX wireless gaming gear for PC and console. Power through all the great monthly PlayStation Plus games with the Cloud Stinger Core Wireless for PlayStation. Enjoy lightweight comfort with reliable wireless freedom so you won't miss plot points when you head to the fridge. 
High-quality HyperX wireless products can be found at most fine retailers, as well as online at Target, Best Buy, and Amazon. Or you can shop for them directly at HyperX.com and HP.com. Uh, but I, I just want to talk about the, the general sort of structure of these stories. So it usually starts off with him trying to dispel some rumors and, you know, sort of um, get, give a little taste of what's to come. Um, and then um, it, the, the stories themselves usually re revolve around um, him doing something for um, a member of his family telling him to do something or um, he's going into town to, to get something or... Like, um, uh, he's sweet on a girl and his, uh, his, uh, he has a rival, um, and his rival says he's actually in love with a, another woman in another town and he just, Breckenridge just has to go there and get her and that sort of thing. And it's often, um, a lot of, uh, misunderstandings. It's sort of, uh, a farce in that way. Uh, or it's, uh, characters, uh, other characters manipulating him, outright lying to him, say the, you know, uh, we're the sheriffs and those guys are the criminals when it turns out that they're, they're the criminals right. and, uh, sending yeah. Breckenridge after the sheriffs. Yeah. Well, if you're talking about the second, I, yeah, that's, I read the first, what I believe are the first two stories. The second one, uh, the gent from Bear Creek is, um, he gets, he, yeah, he runs a file of criminals pretending to be lawmen in his, you know, in his defense, they're not just lying. They are literally, they've adopted, they've set themselves up as the sheriff and deputies of the town and run out all the honest citizens in order to, corrupt be be corrupt and uh, and make money off it so he's not they didn't just they didn't just put one over on him uh, yeah but that sort of thing happens a lot yeah yeah well that's and that yeah no he's he's clearly he's 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 easily beguiled <laughs> he's he's uh he's he's he doesn't know even well like even a, a town is a huge city to him he lives out in the backwoods so um you know any 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 exposure to any kind of civilization is weird and and strange to him. And I, I, one of the things I liked is that, uh, you know, he doesn't, I mean, he's got his sense of like honor and, and decency and if anything better than some of the characters he meets, but, you know, fighting, like in the first story, he's roped into a boxing match, like understandably, but they, like he accidentally, he gets mistaken for the boxer who was coming to town to save the town because they staked everything on a boxing match for some reason. Um, and, um, he actually ended up uh, robbing the guy and taking his clothing because somebody else robbed him um, and took his clothing. Uh, so he has no compunction with just like stealing somebody's stealing from someone. And then um, when he finds out it's a fight, he immediately starts like trying to chew the guy's ear off and putting a thumb in his eye and like, no, no like honorable fighting at all. It's just, Oh, that's a fight. That's a, that's how you fight. <laughs> yep. You know? Chewing yeah, um, off ears is a big thing that you hear about in these stories yeah. a lot. There's actually yeah. a town called Chaud Ear, um, right? Like a local town. Um, there's a few um, towns that get brought up uh, uh, repeatedly, and like War Paint, uh, Tomahawk, and um, Chaud Ear. Uh, sorry, there's another one. Anyway, Apache something. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, he's he's kind of a, a real jerk. When I went into this, I, I thought the premise was that he was like a good-natured hillbilly um, who was like dumb and um, kept going into trouble because like he, he kept trusting people and stuff. And that, that is part of it. But he's also, he's a real bastard. <laughs> well, to be fair, I mean, it's like, it's because people don't leave him alone. It's not like he he tend to himself. He wouldn't just come down and pick a fight. But, you know, he he doesn't understand what's going on. And then he gets, you know, things get more and more confusing and bad for him and then he just loses his temper and, and bad stuff happens well, but it is uh, often yeah, at the end he does like viciously beat up somebody who gives him bad news or something yeah yeah he's um, no, no but not his kin though from what i saw maybe there's an exception in other stories you read but it's always like he's 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 beholden to his kin uh he has a rival else... uh a cousin named bearfield buckner who came up from texas um who he, he sort of like is uh i don't know um yeah, another guy who's like six five and and really burly, and mm. that's sort of like um, a character who who he he'll get into fights with and stuff. Like, um, so like there there's parts of his family he doesn't like, but yeah. Oh, um, okay, fair uh, it, well, it is 
uh, Kin is very much a, a part of this, particularly, again, the fix-up novel. It's worth noting that, uh, what, once again, we have a Robert E. Coward character who has a lot of similarities to Conan, the Barbarian. Um, as with Solomon Kane, you know, I mentioned that um, it's funny because he's this Puritan, uh, and he's, you'd expect him to be a certain way, and he's actually got a very Conan-ish feel to him in that he's sort of a, a savage, dark-natured brooder who, you know, who would, and he's a giant of a man and he'd, he'll fight, you know, he, he wants to, he likes fighting deep down. He, maybe he has a bit more of a Puritan morality, but he, you know, he's got the same sort of impulses that Conan does. And that seems to me like it's true of Breckenridge too. Uh, it's in a comedic sense and they play up him being kind of a, a, a dope, but, um, you know, he's got a lot in common with Conan as well, really. Yep. Uh, he's big, big burly guy who doesn't like uh, doesn't like civilization, and uh, you know when people tick him off, he get he uh, starts uh, bashing heads in, you know. Yeah. But you uh, were talking about kin. Uh, sorry, the kin folk. Of- yeah, uh, I might as well. I've been I've been sort of teasing it, but I might as well get into the fix up novel. It, it is just uh, a collection of the the stories, but often with um, uh, there's a few new chapters, uh, including a, a beginning and ending. And uh, often at the beginning and end of the story, there's there's a coda sort of tying it into the larger thing. Um, but uh, otherwise, they're basically just the, the stories. But the uh, narrative sort of reframes a lot of stuff, uh, the, the new narrative that's added to it. Um, it it's uh, basically a love story. Because uh, a lot of these um, the short stories involve uh, Breckenridge trying to woo a woman um, and... Uh, um, say, say in one, there's a, a school teacher uh, who he's uh, he's going to occasionally for for lessons on how to read, uh, but he actually just wants to marry her, and uh, he's been beating up all the all the other rivals for her affections, um, and uh, she actually does not know that he's trying to woo her until he says it outright and just assumes that they're getting married and say, you know, we don't have to do it next week, maybe the week after. Um, and, uh, she, she ends up running away with, uh, with the, uh, tenderfoot uh, who comes into that story. Um, okay. You know, what's really interesting about that? Um, Robert E. Howard, uh, his, uh, the, the love of his life was a school teacher named Novel and Price, uh, who ended up writing a story, uh, a book about him much later about which we got, which is how we got a lot of biographical details about Robert E. Howard. And, uh, she actually ended up, um, like they had a falling out. It seems like he sort of. He was really shy and never wanted to progress much further than, you know, kissing her and everything. And, and so she went off with a, a friend of his, actually. She started dating a friend of his. So that that story of, like, being betrayed in that way pops up in a few of his stories. And you're, you're essentially describing the dynamic that, that occurred to Robert E. Howard himself right there. A, a little different, because in this case, he was, like, too forward with her. And she had actually no idea until the last minute and was horrified and... Um, yeah, like she didn't so much betray him as just escaped him. Yeah, and um, I wouldn't. I mean, to be clear, sorry, I shouldn't. I make it sound like I, I'm not sure she betrayed him. They just sort of drifted apart. And yeah, she yeah. went off with something. But um, that was definitely a thing that happened in uh, in uh, in some of his stories. You can see elements of that in a lot of his stories. Which, yeah, uh, I, I, but ironically, that's not the only case of that happening. I like that that comes up and that sort of thing comes up in a lot of stories. Say so the the one I mentioned where um, where the premise was his. Um, he was trying to get his uh, um, his friend to stop uh, hitting on a woman he was interested in, and his friend said, "I'm actually in love with a woman from another town, but uh, uh, I was run out of town and I couldn't contact her. So if you go there and um, um, tell her that I love her, then um, everything will be okay, and you can marry this woman who's in this town." And so he goes to the to the other town and it seems that this uh, woman is. Uh, like the the claimed by the local sort of uh, gang gang leader, you know the local criminal who's in charge of everything, and um, uh, so he ends up you know bringing down that whole um, organization and you know basically saving the town I guess. But the woman um, actually had no idea who this who uh, Breckenridge's friend was, and Breckenridge goes back um, uh, to Bear Bear Creek. And uh, the other guy, uh, yeah, he didn't actually know her. He just knew that uh, um, 
everyone who went after her uh, got killed by this mob guy. So um, he and while well, Breckenridge was gone, he married the woman, <laughs> the local woman. That's sort of the the plot of a lot of these in terms of uh, female characters. Um, mm. they're, they're often uh, an object that Breckenridge just sort of um, uh, gets his mind on, and um, so, you know, so, uh, through shenanigans or whatever, uh, mm. she ends up marrying somebody else, and he gets mad, and often mm. just beats up whoever told him. <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, he, but, he um, yeah, that was, pr- I mean, that's, once you've got a formula, it's like, you never yeah, want. <laughs> but uh, the Fix Up novel actually has, is like a, a love story with a, a, a female character named Glory McGraw, who comes from Bear Creek, his hometown. Um, or it's not a town, but, you know, it's yeah. the, the, the area in the Humboldt Mountains. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who uh, uh, was sort of his sweetheart from childhood, and they, they sort of tease each other and, um all throughout the story, uh, he thinks that uh, she hates him, and um, so he's going off to to um, other towns to to prove that uh, he can, you know, get a woman or you know get get a job or whatever. So that's sort of the the overall framing thing for these uh, for these hmm. other stories that already existed. So it would be like um, he's he's set his mind on this other woman because he's trying to make Glory McGraw je- jealous. That sort of thing. I see. Was the fix-up novel actually? It, w- it wouldn't have actually been written by Robert E. Howard, right? Like no, it was. Um, oh, yeah. it was. Okay. Uh, oh, interesting. And uh, I, I don't believe it was published by the person he sold it to, but it, or he tried to, you know, the American publisher. I think it got published in England though, or something. Uh, I think it's his only novel that was published in his lifetime. Yeah, I think I heard that too. Yes, it was. It was. Um... Like he wrote a Conan novel, but I don't think it got published, or uh, maybe isn't considered a novel because it was serialized or something. But yeah, like yeah, um, uh, and uh, the um, uh, an early chapter also involves him uh, uh, meeting Captain Bill. Uh, sorry, Captain Bill. Um, Captain Kid. Captain Kid. Sorry, uh, I was thinking of Bill from Lord of the Rings, um, the the donkey. Yeah, because um, he's a very big man, and you know he can't ride a, an ordinary horse. Um, so uh, Captain Kid is like this giant, really aggressive uh, wild stallion who he's sort of tamed. Uh, like it, um, he's the only one who, who can actually ride it, but it still like is really does not like him very much. Uh, they'll constantly say things like, um, uh, "Captain Kid tricked me and kicked me in the stomach," but I. Let him have it with the butt of my gun. Jeez. <laughs> like they're very violent to each other. Um, <laughs> it, it it would it, but it's so like ridiculous and comical in how um, right casually he says it, it. It sort of comes across as more funny than yeah. than horrifying, which it would be. <laughs> well, the, yeah, the first story with the mule, if I recall correctly, he says he has to pass. He decided he has to pass through the underbrush. This is after his clothes have been stolen, and he decides the best way to do it is just to pick the mule up and carry it through the underbrush naked, <laughs> like that's to give a sense of how absurdly like strong and over the top he is. That's also um, the way you're describing it reminds me of uh, the, the Picos Bill story because uh, he eventually gets a horse named he for the first part of the Picos Bill stories he rides a a cougar uh, who he hit uh, who he hits with a toothless uh, rattlesnake that he that tried to bite him and its teeth broke off uh, <laughs> it, it called scat uh, rat uh, rat and scat, I believe are their names. Uh, but that's his, that's his steed at first, but he did, you know, the, they start to get old pretty fast. And then um, he meets a horse named Widowmaker. And, uh, and so he's like, he has the ultimate sort of bucking Bronco competition on Widowmaker. And, um, but uh, the idea there was like, if he breaks the horse, then it's no longer a, a true steed for Picos Bill. Uh, you know, like, but he can't let the horse beat him either. So they basically come to a, a detente, like an agreement of like, I'm not going to break you horse, but you know, you, you have to accept me as your rider, basically. Uh, so that's almost like an echo of that. Uh, that's, yeah. that's, uh, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. So the, the story involves him um, uh, actually breaking Captain Kid and another, um, a cowboy named Wild Bill Donovan was after Captain Kid uh, before uh, Breckenridge runs into him. But Breckenridge finds it first and manages to to break it, and um, Wild Bill comes in and, and tries to steal um, Camp Kid from you know at gunpoint, and uh, 
um, ends up uh, successfully stealing him, but as he tries to, to ride him away, Camp, uh, Camp Kid bucks him off. Because, um, again, only Breckenridge can actually ride this horse. Right, yeah. Because it's just so mean. Too ornery, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was a that's a big thing. And, I mean, like, in the big thing in the stories, and I imagine if you're actually a horse tamer, which I am not and know nothing about, but uh, they talk about, you know, the, 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 spirit, the horse being spirited is, like, desirable, but at the same time, it's, you know, you can't have your horse be too mean or it's no good, right? Yeah. So. Um, but uh, so Wild Bill comes back as the villain at the end of the book um, uh, in the last... Uh, I think entirely original chapter uh, uh, where um, uh, he frames um, Breckenridge for for a crime and gets uh, a Breckenridge's family, um, you know, his father and his, his other kin from Bear Creek to actually believe it. And this sort of breaks Breckenridge's spirit and he allows himself to get arrested because he just doesn't have the fight in him anymore. But uh, Glory McGraw comes to his, his rescue and figures out the whole plan. And uh, gets his spirit back, and they fight it back against him. So, like the the overall story, and, and then him and uh, Glory get together at the end. So it's sort of like it's the same stories within it, but it sort of reframes the whole thing as as his like um just have, having having a, a tough relationship with this woman who uh, um, he keeps trying to sort of impress or. Um, make jealous or whatever, um, and uh, it sort of it sort of makes it a little sweeter than than he comes across in the uh, in the short stories themselves, where he's often just a a big jerk. Yeah, it, well, that makes him emotionally vulnerable, I think, and especially that last story where like his family turning against him sort of completely just breaks his spirit. Hmm. That's um that that reminds me of the Mark Twain quote I think or I think at the beginning of Tom Sawyer where he goes well it's a story of a if it was a story of a man I know how to end it it would end with a wedding uh <laughs> it's like because that was the agreed upon ending for a novel so that kind of sounds like uh what uh what happens there like if if it's a short story it's a bunch of comedic short stories you can just goof around and have him be a bit of a jerk and if it's a novel you got to have him be a little more sympathetic and end with him actually getting the girl you know that kind of thing yeah. But I think it, it works because it, it makes him a little more more likable. And if you're going to spend a lot of time with him, um, as opposed to a short story where like the main character can be a jerk in a short story easier than yeah. with a novel. Not that you right. can't do that, but it's, you know. Yep, uh, exactly. Yeah, uh, so we'll get into some of the problematic stuff in these books, okay. in these stories. Yeah. Uh, uh, racist. I mean, as you would expect from Robert E. Howard in a hillbilly character. So I don't know how much of this is uh, Robert E. Howard's own opinions because he was fairly racist. Mm -hmm. um, not Lovecraft racist, but you know that nobody's Lovecraft racist uh, besides Lovecraft. Yeah. Yeah, he was um, friends with Lovecraft. They were he buddies. Was. So yeah. Yeah, but apparently was less racist than Lovecraft. Like they, mm -hmm. they apparently did have conversations about that. Um, mm -hmm. So. Uh, yeah, um, there's a lot of talk about the, the Democratic Party, uh, which uh, Breckenridge is a big fan of. This is the the pre-Southern uh, mm -hmm. strategy uh, right. Democratic Party. So this is the uh, pro-slavery, pro pro-segregation, pro, you know. Yeah, um, right. There's actually a joke in one of the early stories where, um, um, let's see, I'll just read it off. I say, he said, climbing down, pardon me for being a bit personal, old chap. But may I ask you, uh, may I ask if your uh, magnitude of bodily stature is not a bit unique? I don't know, I says, not having the slightest idea what he was talking about. I always votes a straight Democratic ticket myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, there's a I, bit. Again, he's very dumb. <laughs> yeah. He does it. Yeah, there's that the first bit. He's like, uh, oh, there are such rapscallions around here? He goes, around here is mostly Democrats or something like yeah, but yeah, yeah but that that's exactly it. Like the South was solidly the Democratic the Democratic Party's uh, purview for uh, right up until um, Lyndon Johnson and the Civil Rights Act. Um, like that was that, that famously he lost the South and he lost the Democrats by uh, passing civil rights le legislation up to that point. And, and I mean, it's worth noting the Democratic Party was like all different in different parts of the 
of America. Uh, but yeah, it was it was like the you know a, a northeastern Democrat was different than a southern Democrat. But it was um, that was a, definitely a huge thing in in the South at the time. Yeah, yeah there's also uh, uh, a few re references to uh, to natives. Uh, there aren't uh, actual any uh, Native American characters in the book. But it, mm. it mentions that, like, uh, I think his father was a uh, engine hunter back in the day, that sort of thing. Yeah. Like, they yeah. drove out all the, the natives, which was, again, a thing that happened historically. So I don't yeah. know how much that is Robert E. Howard saying that's a good thing or yeah. what. Well, he talked uh, about, he talked about uh, I think the engine is the one who stole his clothes in the at the, in the first story. Um, oh, but was it? Yeah, but like off screen, like you never, okay. off, off stage, you never see him. But, um, yeah, it's, it's... Um, Robert E. Howard was interest was funny about Native Americans and like um, he had like he he was willing. There's a whole thing in parts of the U.S. and especially in this era where you kind of alternately vilify and and lionize the Native Americans, where it's like it's almost like they're like the, they're like worthy opponents kind of thing. Um, yeah. They're they're often you know dehumanized as these monsters that live out in the woods that'll get you you know but there but there's often a sort of like yeah they're they're we saw this with the the Silver John stories although again they were later and they were coming from a bit more of a liberal attitude towards the stuff people were starting to realize how messed up it was uh, but but like it, it's it's this kind of thing of like we aspire to be like Native Americans you can kind of see that in the Conan stories too like it's he's you know he's revering the idea of you know, someone who doesn't need civilization to live, which is itself not the best framing for Native Americans, but just like, y you can see him sympathetic to that mindset, like a more, an almost anarcho-primitivist mindset that he that he likes. Yeah, the, the noble savage thing. Yeah, noble savage, and Conan in his weird way is a, is a noble savage, just a white guy who's you know like it's it's yeah. it's got that ha that aspect to it. and breckenridge keeps like getting mistaken as a native or they, they say he's not white or whatever and he takes offense to it so um yeah that comes up a few times there's also a black character who shows up and uh the n-word is used uh mm. to describe him in breckenridge's uh narration uh by the yeah. way breckenridge elkins is the narrator of all these stories and he it's like uh uh, written out uh, often in um, dialect, which actually usually would bug me, but it works here, I think, because, again, mm -hmm. Robert E. Howard was screaming from a place where he actually knew how, you know, this sort of lingo goes. He wasn't... Yeah, um, it, yeah. it really makes a difference that, yeah, like, this is obviously authentic authentically being written by a guy from texas who who had some uh, you know from in the 30s who had some uh, experience with it like it's 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 the kind of thing that that seems like you could do it but is deceptively hard to pull off you know and yeah. it, it is actually interesting that like a lot of um it's it seems to have been the a real question mark way of talking back then um uh, but yeah, yeah probably I within my i i i again i don't know much about the the dialect of um, various parts in the U.S., uh, but like I said, the the black character who appears, who I don't think was named and had maybe was named, but uh, very minor character, and he the few lines of dialogue he has are like you know, oh lord, he, you know that sort of thing. Um, very unfortunate, but again, yeah. it, it could be Breckenridge being racist, like because mm -hmm. he is definitely racist, um, yeah. but it could also just be Howard being racist. So it, it's hard right. to really tell. Um, but yeah, back, back to the, the style it's written in. Um, yeah, like, it, like he'll, he'll misspell things. Like he, he consistently spells maniac just completely wrong. Uh, but you can, you can read it, but you know, he spells it out phonetically, basically. Um, yeah, yeah. and, uh, he, he'll spell, you know, himself as his self and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, you dast going up yonder kind of thing, you know, like that's the, yeah. that's the... And, yeah. Uh, yeah, his level of literacy uh, changes depending on the story. Uh, you could, like, probably put it, it in order, you know, for... Because <laughs> he actually does learn to read at various points, or uh, get lessons on how to read at various points. Like I said, that teacher, he was he was uh, in his mind courting. Um, she thought he was she was just giving him lessons on how to read. Um, and, you know, he'll talk about uh, uh, literacy, you know... he. It's important that people become literate, but uh, that's again him trying to woo a school teacher. 
I, I think that was a different story, actually. Um, school Marms is a common Western uh, stock yeah. character thing. Um, yeah, I mean, before there was an, like a literal you know, public school system, that was what it was. It would be volunteer educators who'd go out into the, the boondocks to, to teach people. So, you know, that's why it became a trope, essentially. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you could easily say, like, he learned to read later after these stories were... Um, long after these stories took place and he's sort of writing down his recollections. Though in other cases, it sort of feels like the start of them are like, okay, let me correct some wild rumors that are going around about me sort of things. So, you know, it, it doesn't quite work, but, you know, it's the, I mean, it doesn't quite work in the, you know, literal sort of, um, uh, like, why would he be writing this down? That's the case of almost every story. Yeah, yeah. And well, you know, I mean, maybe you could, maybe he's you could been assume... recorded talking around the campfire. Maybe these yeah, are... I would definitely. That's how I read it. Is like it's it's somebody's writing down something that he's saying, basically, or it's or it's like you know you're supposed to read it as he's talking. He's he's telling you a a yarn. He's spinning you a yarn, which he definitely would do. And again, that's that's what these kind of folks did. You know. So. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we mentioned, like, nothing supernatural outright happens in these stories uh, at any point. Like, there's there's one about a ghost, but it's a fake ghost. You know, that's, I think it was a, I can't remember the exact details, but it, I think it was like a Scooby-Doo sort of situation. Um, uh, but uh, he is, like, superhumanly, ridiculously strong and uh, very durable. He gets shot a lot and uh, often just walks it off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he gets shot and walks it off. I thought, like, I, I, I noticed. I mean, he can basically withstand any kind of, you know, pummeling. But it seemed like if he was going to get stabbed or shot, it would, it would hurt him. Uh, but... I mean, buckshot describe. He often uh. describes buckshot sticking out of his back and having to take it out. And, um, I, yeah, he does seem like, um, I don't know, a rifle could probably take him down if it hit him in the right place. But yeah. I, I have a feeling he would uh, shrug off a lot of a lot of regular bullet wounds. Again, the, I mean, the guns weren't as good back then, right? So, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, well, that, oh, but but I think there are bullets that you could, that would take you out back then too. But yeah, yeah, I get what you mean. There's like a lot of buckshot and pepper shot kind of rifles that people put out, yeah. blender buses and whatnot. Oh, and uh, he also uses guns himself. Again, not not something I really expected when I was going to this because I thought he was more of a good natured sort of, um, um, you know, just like didn't understand his own strength sort of character, but he's, he's not that he, he does understand that he's really strong. Uh, yeah. Um, and he'll use that to, uh, to pummel people. Yeah. Well, he did in the first story again, it, it does come off as kind of like, uh, you know, well, I hardly even touched him. I just threw him six feet through the air. Like, you know, that kind of thing. But again, as you say, he's not, completely without guile he can kind of you know make up excuses for himself and things so you could read it that way basically yeah and but, also again that first story is uh obviously him younger than he is in the subsequent stories right like i feel like he um uh he was still sort of a kid in that one and uh he doesn't describe himself in the same terms in subsequent mm -hmm. stories yeah like you know um bad thing to happen to a boy who hasn't even grown his full height yet. That's sort of yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Which again was a was a good gag <laughs> after yes. everything he does in that story. But uh yeah. Yeah. Uh also uh visually uh um he, he often uh is described as wearing a coonskin hat and, and apparently that was the sort of common thing to depict him in and in, in artwork for it. Like mm -hmm. covers and stuff. Um but uh, uh, he also sometimes wears a Stetson. Again, this is like he becomes a cowboy at certain points in the story, and there's uh, certain mm -hmm. points in, in his life, apparently. And, uh, uh, you know, there, there's uh, uh, ones about uh, wars between the, the sheep herders and the cowboys, and, hmm. um, uh, and the, uh, um, and the uh, bison hunt. Or, what do you do with buffalo? I don't know, the, guy, the guys who Skinners? do stuff with buffalo. I Again, I am I am very much a uh, tenderfoot, as Breckenridge would say. Uh -huh. Well, it's, it is interesting, like you say, that he was in Nevada. I was, that was really surprised me. Like, it doesn't, I don't think in the first two stories he specifically says where he is. 
Um, but yeah, it's like I would have definitely thought Ozarks or uh, or Appalachians um, because Nevada is yeah like that's I guess they have hills and stuff like that, but it's not a f associated as much with the sort of hillbilly countries and so forth. Um, and and yeah, there'd be lots of cowboys and uh, but I guess that does explain why there's like a, there is a bit of a Western feel to more of it, which is probably uh, more true uh, in the Western areas. Um, the, 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 um, oh, it, it does say he's in the Humboldts in the first story and that is in Nevada. So. Oh, okay. I didn't, sorry. I guess I didn't know where the Humboldts were. <laughs> yeah, I bad. didn't either. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but it's definitely like there was a specific sort of hillbilly culture that's associated with the Appalachians and the Ozarks. But I mean, I guess there's no reason you can't have, you know, uh, you know, front people, descendants of frontiersmen living in remote areas anywhere throughout the, the U S but it's just interesting that that's, uh, that's not that's if you were tell, telling a cliched hillbilly story, you wouldn't really pick Nevada, I don't think. But. Yeah, but again, I th I think he was coming from like uh, a, a place of because he was he was a Texan, so like uh, somebody who fled Texas would go to Nevada, or, you know, somewhere right. around there. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, are these are these actually supposed to be set in like the old West time era or or are they, uh, I I don't I, I have trouble placing the era. I'm sure there's like people who, who know history better than I do who could like place it based on references. But uh, the Civil War happened. Uh, his father fought in the Civil War, so right. So it's um, probably sooner than the actual time he was writing. Yeah, but uh, uh, it, I it's hard to say. There, there I would aren't, say it's uh, meant cars or anything. So. Right, yeah. There's no cars. There's no uh, electricity or anything. I, I would well, not. And again, it's supposed to be the backwoods. I would say that, yeah, it's supposed to be like late 19th century, uh, old west. Uh, yeah, or maybe this. early 20th century at the latest. Uh, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, folks, we's being run out of town yet again. I've been Philip Rice, who did not whack my co-host Adam Prosser upside the head over an argument about whose hoss was faster. Our producer was Alex Ross, whose ability to read was greatly helpful in uploading this online. And our music was fiddled by Jack Fear. Uh, just a reminder, we both have a Patreon, which helps pay for hosting costs and whatnot. Uh, if you subscribe to either of us, you can listen to this here podcast early every time. Uh, also get bonus material, cut footage, illustrations, comics, corn pone, fat pone, lard pone, egg pone, and many other things. Uh, just go to Patreon, search for Philip Rice, one L, or Adam Prosser, two S's, or go to neversleepsnetwork.com slash series slash what-mad-universe for the links. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at WMU Podcast, or Prankster36 for me, or Spearhawk A for Philip. Well, until next time, get off my land.